Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bath Comedia. Please welcome a man who's run around Cheddar Reservoir this morning. It's Richard Herring. <laughs> Hello, rap fans. How <laughs> lovely to be back in Bath Comedia, which I am a shareholder in. So I, I'm going to get an extra portion of the money tonight, I guess that means. Uh, welcome, I don't know. Welcome to Richard Herring's locally sourced Thermi podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Little Bath. Bath spa joke there for you. People, and the people in Bath loved it. Uh, but uh, I was hanging out with Jane Austen at the Jane Austen Centre. And she said, I don't get why Bath are trying to make a big deal about me. I wasn't really happy here. And only wrote my abandoned novel, The Watsons, in this city. Hasn't Bath got enough stuff it, without trying to claim new things that have an absolute fuck all to do with it? And I said, what do you call the podcast? And she said, Rahula Stuff. So I don't, I don't know if that's, that's going to... Uh, she's very cross about it anyway. She was very cross. <laughs> um, it is lovely to be back in Bath. And I believe... 
I believe I watched the great rock and roll swindle in this uh, venue when it was a cinema. I might be wrong. Uh, I don't have many memories of Bath because we would go to Western Supermare most weekends and Bath, uh, to Bristol if we were being really fancy, and Bath was just like a once a year treat for my mum and dad to come out of a cream tea and I can't remember anything about it apart from being posh. I came to the Roman Baths with a group of students from the summer school at Oxford um, and... Uh, They'd all paid in advance, and I was going to pay for all of them. And when I got to the cash, cash desk, the lady said, are they students? I said, yes, and there was a pound off for each of them, and I kept the lot. So <laughs> it's the best day of my life. It happened at the HMS Victory as well, the two best days of my life. Uh, I have been running around uh, Cheddar Reservoir this morning. Um, I did uh, six kilometres from my parents' house around everywhere of Cheddar Reservoir. It's looking a bit low. I hope the people of Cheddar have enough to drink. Um, it's been raining a lot, uh, so hopefully they are. Uh, but uh, I ran around uh, six, 41 minutes, six kilometres, not bad. Um, but I used to run around Cheddar Reservoir in like 12 minutes when I was... Uh, seriously, I was, I was a good runner when I was a teenager. And I've run around there a lot. And every time I run around Cheddar Reservoir, now as a 56-year-old man, I think, how many more times <laughs> do you think I'm going to run around Cheddar Reservoir? All I know is less times than I've run around it already. That, that is, uh, that's, that's my prediction, which is true, I think, of nearly everything in my life now. Everything I've done, I've done more than I will do. Maybe not shitting myself. That's the, that's the only... But, you know, I did a good job of shitting myself. In the first two or three years, I was champion at shitting myself. I'm going to have to put... And it's still carried on, right? I mean, you know, I'm not saying it hasn't happened... Even recently, but there's a couple of times at school, I really, I really went filled my pants rather than go to the toilet. I was 28 years old at the time. I was just said, I was, uh, I was one of the teachers. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I said I have to put in quite a lot of work at the end of life to do that. I think I can't think. I can't can't think of much. Uh, being racist? Uh, I've, no, I've done a lot. Of, I've done a lot of that already. I think there's a routine in that. That might turn up in my oh shit, I'm 60 uh, show in uh, four years' time uh, as an idea. And wait till you see that when it's finished. So look, my guest this week, uh, fantastic to have him on. He is best known for playing Policeman 2 in the hit sitcom Coming of Age that we all remember. (laughs) And (laughs) I'm sure he goes to conventions and they say, it's Policeman number two. It's Stuart Goldsmith, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is, Stuart Goldsmith. Look, in his jumper. Look at him in his jumper. Hello. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? I'm really good. That is almost everything that is on my IMDb page. <laughs> I think that's the lot. A brief flirtation with sitcom acting. <laughs> Coming of age, my, uh, my friend was in that. He was in uh, Relativity. Now I've just forgotten his name. As I, oh, as I close show of his friend. My close show of his friend, Tony. Someone. Yeah. Um, Played my nephew. He played my nephew, and then he went on to be in Coming of Age, which was the follow-up to Two Pints of Lager and a Pack of Crisps. Something like that. I was in the. I was in it briefly because I did the studio warm-up yeah, for I it. Thought, I, I did the. the fa- oh, you thought so. I thought you, you saw might one do. credit, and you thought <laughs> this is a jumped-up warm-up who's dressed as a policeman. You were quite right. Yeah. Well, you also. I don't know if we talked about this last time you were on. I nearly chose this, then I thought it's probably not the thing to start on, but it's the second thing to go for. You were Survivor Two in the TV movie The Martianess Disaster. I didn't think that. I, I thought that was probably. I've, I specialise in playing the second two. faceless character. <laughs> That's right. At least you survived. Well done. Well, we had to get in the Thames at four o'clock in the morning to do that. Oh, it was, wow. I was at the very be- beginning of an extremely short acting career. <laughs> and I thought, oh, it's going to be full of things like this. 
Uh, but it wasn't because it didn't last very long. But I'm, I am glad I survived. Can I, is it the fact that it's Monday, or does no one shout anymore when you say the name of it? Because that's a very lacklustre. It was lacklustre. That's better. Thank you. They, they did. They did it the first time, and then they got bored as it went on. <laughs> which is fair. You know, you've only come out to see it live to do that, so that's the only good thing. You can do it at home as well. Do it. if you're listening at home. Do do shout out. You won't look strange. I, I've just remembered I have a joke about you. Okay. Yeah, that's a... Oh, what a gambit. What an opening (laughs) gambit. I haven't said it for a while, but I've got to get the year right to make it work. I would occasionally work out who in a comedy audience was like a sort of hardcore comedy fan. Right. By deliberately doing this joke at the beginning, I said, I will work out which among you is a hardcore comedy fan. (laughs) It did occur to me I should have asked your permission to do this joke, but I never did. And here, let's ask now, retrospectively. Um, I used to say, uh, we'll work out who of you is a, a hardcore comedy fan uh, with this joke. In 2026, I am planning to go to the Edinburgh Fringe with a show called Oh Shit! Next year, Richard Herring is 60. That was... <laughs> Good. This lot are on board. You, don't, you do not have my permission to do that joke. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're known for doing the com, com pod. Is that still going? Is, is that, that still, still is that going? Still going uh, the most painful yeah. question to... That's like bumping into a comedian at the Edinburgh Festival and saying, have you got a show on? It is still going. It is still going, yeah. but it has become even more exclusive. <laughs> it's, it was niche to begin with, and now yeah. I've really drilled down into that niche. It's just you talking to comedians. I mean, that, that's yes. a bit... Can't, well, can't do that, can you? Yeah, I know. I know. You said lovely things about it last time, and it did occur to me to ask whether you still listen... But I don't listen to this anymore. <laughs> you know, so, no, no, not really. Um, but, it, but I am occasionally... Uh, sometimes I'm jealous of your guests, but more often I get a guest that I think is a goodie, and then I go, oh, fucking hell, Babiglia's done Rahel as well. <laughs> but it took me ages to put that together. Do you, do you ever have that with mine? Do you ever notice uh, who's online A little bit, yes. More with off-menu than with you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do listen to yours, but as a way of researching my guests on the cheap... So if I listened to... I am to, so happy to be providing that I service. Listened to, who did I listen to? Uh, there was a very good... Oh, it was um, just Spencer Jones in Exeter. That was the, yes. last, that was the last one I listened to before today. Uh, and uh, very useful. And I love this. Well, and the, well, it is worth listening to your podcast. For <laughs> any, Thanks, mate. Can you put that on the poster? Bring it on the posters. Put it on the posters. For any comedians, which is sort of any aspirant comedians, which it is for, and any yes. comedians who are working, because I listened to Spencer Jones, I talked to him about this, yeah. but he had just very good advice about w- walking onto stage, and I'd never yeah. really actively thought about that. I yeah. think instinctively I'd learned the lesson, but, oh, yeah. but it made me think, yeah, you know, that's so clever to realise that early on. So it, there, it is, you learn a lovely, lot. There are so many lovely little things like that, like Jeff Innocent um, was on the show, he, he's such a wonderful comedian. And he says that if you say hello to an audience when you walk on as a, as a stand-up, that's a wasted opportunity. And then someone like brilliant Zoe Coombs-Ma, she told me that she, when she goes on stage, she thinks to herself that the audience, wherever she is in the world, the audience is an entity with whom she... is one entity with whom she has a lifelong relationship. <laughs> so she always walks on thinking... Oh, it's you again. And I, the difference between those things fascinates me. So, yeah. yeah. That is... Because that's what everyone's fear is, I suppose, with stand-up. Uh, normal people who aren't comedians oh, yeah. is that is that you know oh my god I've got to talk to a group of people I don't know and try and make them laugh. Yes. Most people would be absolutely terrified of that idea, but for some reason comedians want to do it. But it is you know it is achievable, it is doable. I think, but you do have to want to do it. I listened to you being interviewed on episode three hundred today. Is what? I oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a two hour 
You've been interviewed by lots of different people. It's yes. very interesting. Sindhu, Sindhu, Sarah, uh, Sindhu V, Sarah Millican and Tom Allen, I think, were the main ones. They but are. I also said other people sent in questions a, and stuff. A few people yeah, sending really questions. No, there wasn't any good tips from you. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm joking. It was, oh, you jo- joking, are you? Please, share one of my good tips. Um, uh, your tip, your best tip was actually... Well, actually, I was just jealous and thought, I don't think I could do this, was actually a parenting thing where you talked oh, yeah. about your son when he's in a mood you've got a happy button that you oh. say press the happy button and then he goes out the room presses the happy button and comes back happy yeah. again you just give him you give him a sort of mechanical imaginary reason it's not a reason but like a, you give him the opportunity to climb down from being angry because yeah. I mean we all remember being children going like I've, I've made a huge mistake here and I'm still angry and it's my fault and I can't admit it but you go, would you like to... I think there's a happy button down the hall if you find... That worked when he was, like, three. He's seven now. Couldn't <laughs> oh, he's a fuck. Well, it might, might work for my son. It might work for my son. He doesn't get so angry so much as just really fucking annoying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I I've only got myself to blame. He's exactly the same as I was is at this, that age. Is this the one that you used to refer to as your sex crimmant? Or is that your <laughs> yeah, daughter? But it was, I think I'd the... That was both of them, really, but it was my daughter. I, I, remember, I, I remember at the time thinking, she will grow up, Richard. <laughs> well, I tweeted that when she was born. I think like the first thing I tweeted a picture and said, it's my sex woman. And someone went, oh, I hope you, your daughter will see that in 18 years' time and she'll hate you. And I said, well, A, I don't think she's going to be on Twitter. B, I hope she's the kind of 18-year-old who has a fucking sense of humour and will get, get why that's a funny thing to do or I, or I will have failed. You, uh, but, could, you could write that as a clause in the will. <laughs> yeah, because I, I won't be there. You know, that's the other thing. I won't be there to see that. Well, I fucking am. <laughs> Didn't even know I had cancer then, but I knew I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have lived that from the air. All right. Too, uh, too early to mention the cancer. Um... <laughs> uh, and you know you were having fun with him um, when he's draw when he's painting. You were painting with him and, and using that as a inspiration to well, create. Well, I found Do you it think very... that was that was very interesting. Yes, I found it very inspiring that he. I think what I said was <laughs> painting. That he was mm. three. Um, but there is something so unselfconscious about a kid drawing or painting something. And if you try and be... I remember kind of I would watch him go... And he's making all these marks he's never made before in his life. And then you go, of course, art is easy. And then you try it and you go, this is shit. This is all just shit. Because you're completely... You know, he is unfettered by any notion of sort of anything. He's just exploring. And it is, it's that weird thing if you go like in physical theatre or like acting training, you go, you sort of roll around being a baby and trying to move as naturally as a baby. And no one can do it because... Do you know what I mean? It's that, or or in when, um, when in art galleries, people say, oh, my three-year-old could have painted that. And you think, well, of course they could, because they didn't have to let go of all of these preconceptions that the adult painter has had to yeah. let go of. Is this pretentious enough? Yes. This basically, if you're enjoying this, you're going <laughs> to love my podcast. <laughs> uh, except, except your podcast doesn't have a cheeky person in coming taking the piss all the way through. So, oh, it does sometimes. <laughs> uh, I have done it once. But uh, I, I, am, I am thrilled to know that you use mine for research. I, I wondered if you did, and I'm pleased to hear that my suspicions were correct. You're welcome. Thank I you. want it to be a resource for everybody. It's just very useful to know what questions not to ask. That, that is, that is just, just find it very useful for that. Do you know the worst question? Matthew Crosby tells me the worst question I ever asked was I, oh, who, Claudia O'Doherty. Years and years ago, brilliant Claudio Doherty, who went on to do, she did, she's in a, in a series in the States, it's about a guy and there's an alligator, and is it, is it? Yeah, I forgot what that's called, no, that's good though, I watched that. It's supposed to be great. Um, but uh, 
I apparently, this is a long time ago, I apparently asked her, because she just, she at the time was doing really weird out there kind of fringy theatre shows. Yeah. And I was sort of applying my brain to that, going, what would, you, as I do with the interviews, what, what would this person be worried about? And I try and put myself in their shoes, what would I be worried about? And then ask about that. And I, I said, I, apparently I said to her, how are you doing financially? And that, <laughs> I, I see Matthew's point. I don't think that's an appropriate question to ask of anyone, let alone a, a, I mean, a comedian who's doing the sort of brave out there stuff I wish I could do. Also, based on the last Edinburgh show I saw, which is before she went off to Hollywood to become famous, she had like the, she had amazing, had this amazing screen oh, with yeah. animations on it and she would sort of interact with the screen. It was yes. very cutting edge at the time. And I think she got some backing from someone, but it must, I mean, you know, you go to Edinburgh, yeah. you don't see stuff like that. No, there's not It must a have cost £100,000. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like insane. Uh, but I guess if you're going to lose money, why not, why not lose a fucking shitload? That's, I suppose that's... <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it's interesting with me because obviously all the way through this, while you've been doing this, the podcast as well, you are a stand-up comedian. You're very, and you've been and com- coming up with shows most years, I'd say. You've been yes. doing, yeah, I mean, yes. you've got a very, very uh, great back catalogue. And I think it's, it was interesting to hear you again talk on episode 300, again, four or five years ago, uh, about how you now were getting to the point where you wanted to write on stage, or you know, yeah. rather, than, rather than at home. Which I, you know, I went through the, in my load of shows. I started off r- r- having scripts, basically, yeah. that I would, uh, you know, I would adapt, but not very much. And now I go on with uh, yeah, some ideas and, and do it all yes. there. And it sounded like you were at that. Yes, stage. I was sort of approaching that. I was kind of. The, I've had lots of sort of fascinations with comedy along the way, besides the obvious comedian's fascination with oneself. Um, <laughs> I. Uh, uh, yeah, I was. I was trying to get into that, mostly just because it seemed efficient. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you might as well. Paul Sinner told me years ago, on like episode f- maybe five of my podcast, so like 11, 12 years ago, uh, that he writes in his car and he just would hold it all in his head and never make any notes. And that fascinated me. But it seemed to me that when I would, when I would tour, I would do like an hour in the first half. I would do the show they've come to see in the, in the first half. And then I'd say, come back after the interval. I'm going to fuck about for an hour from some notes that I kind of half remember. And dis- distressingly, it's often way better. And I just found <laughs> that I think actually what my funniest suit is sort of uh, sort of funniest suit isn't an expression. I'm trying to do strongest suit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but come for you, comedy. Um, but uh, yeah, when I'm panicking and going and blurting stuff out, I'm often that's that's when I'm funniest. And I realise now we talked about not particularly bringing up ADHD because it's such a well-worn <laughs> thing. But it does occur to me I'm recently diagnosed and excitingly on new meds tonight. I may need to go off stage for a wee, which, <laughs> which I imagine will be accompanied by some wonderful shivery sensation. Um, but, uh, which is what always happens when people talk about me when I've just left the room. Um, but... Uh, I, come on, this is a terrible time to lose your place. Yes, what I, what I realise is in the moment, you know, you get diagnosed with ADHD and you look back for a month or so, you spend a month or so looking back, oh, oh God, that, oh, and I suppose that, and I suppose that, and I suppose that. And actually, I've realised very recently that I have a, t- I, ha- I know I have a terrible memory, but I've realised very recently the effect that that has had on how I've grown as a comedian, mm. the choices I make, the, the, the choices I don't make because I just do what seems obvious. A lot of it, if I'm ever nervous, it's because I'm worried I'm going to forget what I'm going to say. Right. And I never knew that. Yes. I never realised that. Everything was an attempt to sort of having cards on stage and desperately, you know, I pace around beforehand running the running order. But I'm, I'm fine. If I forget what I'm going to say next, I'll be fine, I think, or something. Yeah. But it, it's, you know, it's just taken years to get to that point. I think, but I, you know, I've talked about this before, but I remember, like, early on when I came back to stand-up, I saw Reg D. Hunter apparently just improvise 
the whole set. He arrived a bit late and then just sat, that sat down and improvised his amazing stories. Of, it felt improvised. Yeah. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but it felt improvised. And I thought, wouldn't that be amazing to just do a whole show without prep, prepping anything at all? Yeah. But that's what these podcasts are, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's a little bit of like working out what we're going to do beforehand. But we're, we're, create, you're getting someone who you might know a bit. I mean, you and I have met a few times. We don't know you that well. Yeah. And you've got to form a double act for an hour and then we've got to be funny. We're not doing very well in this bit. But we'll pick up, <laughs> we'll pick up in a minute. And there you go, we're off. So it's... <laughs> It's, you know, so it, it, it's kind of really liberating to leave that behind. And, you, do, you know, like my, often people say, oh, you're, you know, uh, some, I mean, someone's get like comments on Twitter going, your stand-up's no good. And I kind of realise they've only listened to the stand-up at the beginning of the podcast, right? Yes. Which is literally me taking something that happened on the day or something I've just looked at on Google and yeah. trying to see what happens with it. So, you know, that's the first go at something. Yes. It's very uh, brave to open your... Podcast episodes with some improvised stand-up. Yeah, but I've, but I've just got used to it, and then when you're used to it, it doesn't matter. And it, you know, it's sort of yeah. none, of, none of it matters, does it? No, nothing. I remember. <laughs> no, big, big moment from an early <laughs> podcast of mine with Tim Vine, right? Uh, where he said he, we were talking about bad gigs, and he said it doesn't matter. And I said, what doesn't? And he went, nothing. Nothing matters. <laughs> and it was a lovely moment of inner yeah, kind of inner Vine. But you will find the you know, you'll find the like as long as you you know we we we've both been going for many decades, and sure. we, if we can't find the laugh in something even if it's to go for the obvious or the cheapest thing you can go to but you know hopefully you'll yeah. fi- you know you do find and with the one I sh- the show I'm working on now I, you know I know the story because it's the story that I, I lived through but you'll find you know you'll just, if you let everything go and just tell the story you'll find new avenues and hopefully I don't I never record it I just hope I remember the next day yeah and oh, if it's good God, enough I hopefully you do, do remember it I could never do that because I would probably remember the next day but I I just I couldn't, I, I couldn't relax that day knowing that I didn't have it written down somewhere to check in a panicky yeah. way. Um, Rory Scovel. Do you know Rory? Have you had Rory Scovel? He's one of those American comedians that I get on my podcast <laughs> that, that are of interest to almost no one because American <laughs> listeners can't stand my accent and it, British listeners don't know who the Americans are, but I persevere. Um, and Rory, I mean, he is a genuinely fantastic... We were talking about Mike Babiglia earlier on. Rory is just up there in, in terms of his, his, right. his comedy... And he genuinely goes out and improvises whole shows. Yeah. But it, like, it, I, I see the parallels when you say, you know, you do a podcast, and, but having someone to bounce off is a million years away from not having yeah. someone to bounce off. Yeah. So to go out there, and obviously we know people like Todd Barry and stuff, they do the crowd work show. He does it, he's like, I'm not going to do any crowd work, I'm going to do a show. You know, man, I'm just going to riff an entire show. And I saw Tommy Tiernan do that once at Edinburgh. He, yeah. went, he did that every night for a month. And he just, the object was to go out and not say anything he'd ever said before. Just like that three-year-old drawing and painting kind yeah. of idea. Just phenomenally difficult and, and It is. I, I did, I, in lockdown, and I pretty much stuck to this, not entirely, but in lockdown I decided, and I hadn't done stand-up really for ages, I did a couple of you know, online gigs in lockdown, and I decided, because some of my jokes were literally 25 years old, you know. A, a couple of jokes in my, like, in my charity set, when I'm just doing the jokes. Yeah. Some of those jokes are, you know from the early 1990s. Now, so I'm going just... th- to think of my stuff as my charity set. <laughs> that's that's so... a lovely spin on some old material. So I just I said, right, I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to do any of that material, any yeah, material I've done on stage yeah. after, after I come off. And I've maybe, you know, sometimes you need to reference, a, a, there's a reference to an old joke in the current show, uh, but, you know, but I've stuck to it really pretty much, apart from occasionally when I've been very scared at a charity gig and just done something I know that will get a laugh. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I think that's a really... Uh, it's a really, when you've been going for a long time, yeah. 
I think that's a really good thing to do and an interesting Definitely. thing to do. Definitely. Definitely, because you, you have to change, because otherwise you sort of calcify, I suppose. And uh, that's not good for your head. I mean, I, I did a... Talk of older jokes. I, I, I had a, I've had a thing go viral. I've had the same clip or the same joke in a couple of different clips, but the same joke go viral on Instagram a few times in the last year. And it's like, you know, massively multiplied by Instagram followers. Um, and it's, it's like a 30 sec- less than 30-second joke. It's about baby sign language, or what I now know to be called sign language, but for babies. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that's partly why it goes viral, is because people argue in the comments about whether or not the term baby sign language is offensive to sign language users. I have no position on that. But fucking hell, if people argue, you suddenly understand how Joe Rogan exists. Mad. Um, and, uh, but that has been seen by something like 30 million people now. And, uh, and it's just mad to think to yourself, well, I'll probably never do anything else that's going to get sued by 30 million people. You know, I'll be trying, but that's... That's my legacy. You know, you always used to, as a newer comic, you have that conversation like, oh, if, if us comics in this car on the way to a gig, if this crashed, who'd be, who'd be the news story? And now I'm just kind of faced with, I've really tried to make a significant contribution to this kind of archival <laughs> idea of stand-up and kind of creativity and what have you. And I'm going to be, oh, remember that offensive baby sign language <laughs> naming guy? He's dead now. Well, you aren't in control. I think that's what you've got to relinquish control as a comedian, as any artist, I think. Yeah. Calling myself, myself an artist there, suddenly I realise. Uh, anyone no, who I've, does... got a, I've got a solution to okay. that. You know, you, I always used to ask people, do you consider yourself an artist or an entertainer? Yeah. And I would have... I mean, I spend my life in kind of paroxysms of panic about, well, who am I? What does any of it mean? And I realised you can just be a bad artist. Yes. Yeah. It, oh, great. But you have no control of how, how something is enjoyed or, or what happens to it, where it goes in the world, you know. And so you've just got to put it out there, or, or indeed how anyone enjoys it. So you don't have control yeah. over how people... You might have an intention behind a joke that diff, people take a different yeah. meaning to it. So. Yeah, I've done a bit recently. I live in Bristol, and uh, I, there's a bit that went up a few weeks ago, or months ago maybe, about kind of being a London wanker that moved to Bristol and ruined it. And it's a sort of joke in which I admit that, and it's funny, it contains... Well, I would, you know, look, look it up. Um, <laughs> it's just under the one with all the views. Um, but that one, they've started to fucking triangulate where in Bristol I live. You know, I feel like it's not like 4chan stuff yet, but there's enough people going, oh, that has got to be Victoria Park he's talking about. It's not, it's bloody not. Clearly Clifton, come on, mate, do the map. No. So, don't narrow is... it down for them, Stuart. Yeah. Don't, don't help them. It's neither of those. It could be either of those places. Yeah. But we were, we were talking about um, writing on stage and being free with the writing and what have you. And then the last show that I've done, the one I just took to Edinburgh, I've done the complete opposite of that. And for the first time in my life, I wrote down the entire script of the show. Oh. Because I had to, because it was a show all about the climate crisis. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's what we like. <laughs> one man cheering there for the heat death of our entire pro, pro or and, Are you pro the climate crisis or against it? So, pro, you're like, yeah. It's it's a, on the, sitting that, on the fence. That gesture is wonderful. Well, wait a second. Wait to say which way the wind blows, literally, <laughs> on this one. <laughs> so, so I really had to, to try and yeah. get... I mean, I've spent the last 18 months dying on my arse at comedy clubs trying to inject a load of... Like, you know, you, you work up your stuff in the clubs. So I've been in God knows where on a Friday night for people who haven't opted into a climate show, just being on a, you know, closing yeah, yeah. A, a gig somewhere, and... Um, uh, and suddenly talking about the climate. And I, when I started doing it, I thought I'd be saying to people, I'm terrified of the climate crisis, and I know you are too, let's talk about it. And uh, what I, I thought people's response would be, oh, geez, finally. But no, no, they didn't, <laughs> not at all. In many ways, I'd say, you know you're scared of the climate crisis, and they go, no, we don't give a shit. 
We don't care. Or we're angry at you for bringing it up. I've bought a babysitter. I could have rented them, but I wanted to be absolutely certain. Yeah, so... Um, so that's so I had to really, really plot what's the jet. Like I've done more, I've done act, like actual research and interviews with climate people and what have you, in an attempt to try and go, what is this thing? Yeah, you know, and uh, and so that's been a, a, a wildly different process. So you've been doing that in Edinburgh, and you're, mm. you're touring that. Um, I'm I'm not touring it because there's no way to tour it sustainably. <laughs> oh, I've fucked myself into a tiny cage made of sustainable bamboo. Um, I'm not. Part of the show is about the sort of the insanity of feeling like a hypocrite because we're not to get too lectury on you, but we, we're all part of the point of the show is that we're all bound up in the carbon economy and feeling like you're a hypocrite, feeling like, well, I don't wash all of my peanut butter jars before I put them in the recycling, so I can't really have a voice. That's we're going to we're, we're going to be screwed if we all think like that. So you have it's this weird thing whereby I think you have to go, hey, I'm a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. Now let's keep thinking and talking about it rather than yeah. let that stop us. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no... In the show I talk about, there's no, there's no sentence you can say which is not hypocritical about the climate. All, it would be, there's only one, which is, I hate the climate, I wish it would burn sooner, and I'm doing everything in my power to control that. <laughs> that means you're not a hypocrite. Good, good for you. Everything else is hypocrisy. So... I may tour it. I'm not kind of... I don't want this to go out at a time when I've decided to tour it. But, you, you know, you, I will tour it as sustainably as I can. But I had a great time at Edinburgh. And I think what I'm going to do, maybe instead of a tour, or in addition to a tour, is I want to... I really, what I've realised is there are loads of people working towards a solution to climate change in some capacity, whether they're at one end of the scale, activists, people gluing themselves to things. And at the other end of the scale great big business people who are like genuinely have massive infrastructure and need to make enormous decisions and i want to do the show for all of them right so so that's kind of my plan is i'm going to offer it free to activist organizations i'm going to offer it for money to businesses and, and say let's you know let's let's recharge your climate comms and get you thinking about what this stuff actually is and have a conversation about all the, all the stuff that everyone doesn't want to have a conversation about. Yeah. Are you scared about the climate crisis? Yes, I am. But, you know, like, I think like most people just trying to, you know, it's head buried in the sand, isn't it? But, yeah, I'm absolutely, I, you know, do you think it's salv- salvageable at this stage? Because it just mm. feels like it's not, it's going to happen and uh, uh, you, you and my kids are all going to live a quite unpleasant life, thanks to us. Yeah, and are you... I mean, not just you and my yeah. <laughs> No, they're going to be the only survivors because we have access to a special bunker. Um, uh, I think that... Oh, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated question. Comics were coming up to me in Edinburgh and going, are, are we fucked? Are we going to be okay? And the answer is we... It depends who you mean by we yeah. because if you mean we, humanity, there are people who are already not okay because yeah. of the climate crisis. Um, but are we in the developed world? Are we in the? Are we relatively rich people by global standards? Hugely rich people on an island in the northern hemisphere? Yeah, it's going to be really hard for us. The biggest thing I think is going to be food. I think in the next fifteen years, it's going to be a colossal food shortage. No. Um, this isn't good. It's no, like the show. The show has got jokes about some stuff. <laughs> it's hard to make a joke about. Like in the interviews for the show, I was talking to people like heads of sustainability, this, that, and the other. And saying, like, we have quite optimistic chats. They go, listen, like, the biggest thing for me is that capital, money, business has decided it's real. It doesn't matter who the leaders are. Right. 
capital is like, this is fucking real. So we're moving at light speed to invent stuff, develop stuff. Solar and wind, everything is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper by incredible, fra- by incredible factors. It, that is all really, really impressive. And we'd have these chats and I'd go, well, it, is it going to be okay then? And they'd go, no, no, we haven't got time. You know, and I'd go, okay, okay. But, but I, do, I do think it's, it's essential not to give up hope. So that's what my show became about. I'm not a scientist. You know, you'll know Dr. Matt Winning. Have you had yeah, Matt Winning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. on the book club, yeah. You know, um, did you listen to my one to research him? No, I did notice he was one. on when I looked down the list, yeah. though. <laughs> um, so... Uh, you know, you can auto-transcribe my episodes oh, and just you? scan them. It's probably quicker. Yeah, I'll do that next yeah, time. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I don't really like the sound of your voice, so that's, that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it's really difficult to just fast-forward through your bits. To the... <laughs> you don't understand what the question was. You can just try and pick I've, it up. I want the audience at home to know that I've gone red. Every, <laughs> everyone here does, but my, one of my childhood comedy heroes, Richard Herring, is slagging me off. And I, like, it, that's... It's, in a way, it's painful, but also, in a way, I'm like, me and Rich are cool enough that he can slag me up. I don't know. I don't know. Um, can I just say how thrilled I am to be here? Oh, well, I'm very and, thrilled. I'm, I am generally thrilled. And I, to when I can't see an egg without going, egg, like an egg. Like, you still, you occupy a lot of space in my mind. Um, what was I talking about? We're all fucked. Yeah, so, they, it is, it's time. The issue is time. Will we change in time? And... You know, there are people who think we need nothing less than the abolition of capitalism and a whole new system. And there are people who think, no, no, the system is flawed, but, you know, there's a lot of very intelligent people doing loads and loads of work who are enormously financially incentivized. If you are the person who manages to crack 10xing solar power or nuclear fusion or whatever, you're going to, you know, you'll be the richest person alive because everyone wants that, that thing. So I'm, I try to be hopeful because yeah. we are... I, and again, in the show, I've got funnier stuff about this, but we are, I think we're obligated to hope. We, we have an obligation to hope because we're in such a good position. We're going to feel the worst of it, the last. So we have to hope and stay positive and stay focused and, and try and do something. It's like with the... I was going to invoke something that I probably shouldn't at this point, which we can cut and come back in on a big laugh and momentum. <laughs> Yeah, fucking thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, I think that... I forget my point. <laughs> You're about to come in on... You know, I, uh, it's, uh, it's ADHD. This is a condition. If It's eggy now. That's on you. That's a hate crime. Um, uh, I should be given extra time and a laptop. <laughs> um Invoking the thing. I li- if, if I can have sort of 20 seconds... That You've got 20 seconds, it's fine. Okay. I was in- invoking the thing about that, which I should mention, but the point of that is realising that uh, you don't have all... Yeah, okay. There's a fly attacking you during this, which made it very exciting for the audience. Yeah, I walk it. with nature now, yeah. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, Please help us, Mr Goldsmith. Tell, tell the other humans You're... that the world has to be saved. You'll be... You'll be fine, little fly. Your lifespan is sadly so brief that you are among the few living creatures of today who will be unaffected by the climate crisis. Yeah, I, I just think that... Um, it's gone again now. Fuck it. Yeah, move on, move on. Basically, are we fucked? Yes, we are, depending on who we is, but we still have to hope. Um, and there's so many scary visions of the future. It's really scary, but the, the point is, and the point of the show is, don't bury your head in the sand. Like, the, yeah. the, the, the whole kind of... The, the, the 
cornerstone of the show. You can't have one cornerstone. That would be shit, <laughs> wouldn't it? One of the cornerstones of the show, the balancing bit, the pole, is, um, is that I didn't want to find out any more about it. You know, if you, you, you know there's something, you go, oh, if I find out more about this, I'll have to change like that. <laughs> and I thought, if I find out more about the climate, I will be more scared. But I was brave and I took a risk and I found out more about it and now I'm way more scared, but I'm also more hopeful. And that's what I ended up trying to write about. Okay. Hence, writing it all out. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Very good. I'm going to ask you a would-you-rather question from Would You Rather available in the foyer after yes, the show. Yes, please. I love... I don't know if the, uh, the listener will know that your set dressing <laughs> is a, a table with a black tablecloth and all of your merch. I know. There's a lot of merch. Um, I, I didn't had... realise you'd, you'd written so many books. You'd read so many books. Are these all the books, are these all the books you've read? <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. I can never finish a book. Look at that. Some of them are DVDs, you know. What, what good are those? Right. Who's the worst comedian in Top Trump's? Who's like the shit one? You know Top Trumps is always like a really good, there's like the white yeah. dragon. I can't remember who put the... Who's the, the worst one? They're all quite good, actually. They're, 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 <laughs> that's, you see, I'm so craven. If I did ComCom pod Top Trumps, everyone would have 100 for everything. I just think they're all great and I'm glad they came. I did it in a way that I think everyone's excelled at something, so there isn't, there's no, like, Mini Cooper in, in the sports cars edition. There we go, that's what we're on. Um, right, I don't know, I hardly ever use this Would You Rather book. It is good, though. Would you rather be an exhibit in an alien zoo? I don't know what this question is. Would you rather be an exhibit in an alien zoo, have all your needs catered for, but live in a cage and be gawked at daily, or live in an alien safari park where you would have freedom to roam, but would have to avoid super-rich aliens who have paid to hunt you and want to put your head on their wall? Oh. So, I mean, would you rather have captivity? Yes, when safety? I when I heard the first bit of it, I thought I'm taking whatever the second thing is because <laughs> that's one of my values: captivity and safety. No way, man! Uh, like I know that you know I've seen enough. I've seen enough. You know, dark sci-fi, your know, short stories or visions of the future to go. No, you don't, you don't take the easy path, mate. You live, but not for very long. Being no. hunted. No, I think obviously I'd uh, I'd prefer to be gawped at. I mean, isn't that 
an analogy for being a comedian. <laughs> Are you saying, would you rather have your life now, but in a sort of analogy, or would you rather be hunted by aliens? I'd go for the first but one. But be free. I think, like, you know... But what, what the... is freedom? Yeah, freedom, you know, everything is just a, a bigger cage, man. I suppose. I suppose the safari park has its bounds, even on an alien <laughs> planet ten times the size of Earth. Only the fly is truly free, and <laughs> yeah. he dies soon. He will die, especially if I get hold of him. <laughs> Ruining my show. Oh, he's made it better. Um, right, let's, we'll, we'll come back, we'll do some, we'll do some more. So, you, look, you, you do... Can I, you, can I just ask how much... I'm going to ask the audience, yeah. how much of this podcast these days is Richard sort of making a point and then saying two or three things to himself and, like, mumbling? <laughs> there, was, there was a very, like, you did a thing and then you composed a little three-act play as you were... <laughs> Most of it. Most of it, lovely. I mean, it's all very, you know... Um, Joe Lysett was saying um, that for something that... Uh, what was the word? It's, he said something that's so inept. That for someone who's so inept, it's amazing I've managed to make such a good podcast. Oh. But I think, I think... But he loves... He's one of the biggest fans of the podcast. Uh, and I think he, you know... I, he, his point is I do manage to get stuff out of people yes. despite appearing... <laughs> ..to be inept. But my secret is I just am inept. <laughs> So I appear in it by being in it, but this, it works. I'm this like, is like a, gardener. This is a famous cure for imposter syndrome. <laughs> right. Like, you know, imposter syndrome. You think, oh, God, I'm going to get found out. I'm crap at this. You have to reframe it and think, I've got massively getting away with being shit and no one noticing <laughs> syndrome. It's been going for 35 years. I can't believe I've got this far. <laughs> people, people still come and see me. Not many, but some... This is practice for being an old man in a rocking chair. You did exactly the thing I just observed a moment ago. You did it all over. <laughs> well, I, I think one of my other things... I have a theory about um, us living in a simulation. You can listen to a couple of podcasts ago to hear about that. My is that, other, my other is, that theory, simulation, is that the famous simulation theory? Are you, simulation. Are you claim yeah, that's yours? I that. <laughs> I've, got a lot, I've got a lot about that. We're not going to talk about that. I think, you know, what, how do you know that you're not currently lying in an old folks' home, remembering yeah. what you think happened. So I think, I think there's every chance yes. that I am just, I'm currently going, and maybe making stuff, you know, what are the chances I played the Bath comedian and got Stuart Goldsmith on as a guest? What are the chances of that? I always think mathematically, one. <laughs> yeah, it happened. Um, I, I used to think that all the time. As a, I remember thinking that at school. I remember thinking that when I was maybe nine or ten, I thought I could... With me, it wasn't an old people's home. It was like, I could just wake up and I could actually be dreaming this. And I'm on a sort of hospital gurney, you know, having a... Yeah. You know, having a sort of some memory experience. I've, I've worried about that my entire life. I've always had a sort of metaphysical bent and as a result become a bit of a psychonaut in my 20s where you uh, take all sorts of illicit substances, right. uh, allegedly, and then and kind of get to grips with the, you know, what is the cosmos and what is the stuff. Um, so I'm quite comfortable with that. I yeah. think, I, I, I suppose I pride myself on the fact that were I to suddenly wake up and, and, and realise it had been all a dream and I was an old man in a, a care home, yeah. as well as thinking, oh, fuck. I, I feel like I'd recover quite quickly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've got, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But to be honest, that being the nature of time, it's only the present, isn't it? Yeah. So we are all, assuming you make it that long, we're all going to wake up being an old person in care because remembering, at one point... remembering stuff, and you don't know what you know. And I see. I sometimes I look back at the last five years. I mean, it's because I've had kids, yeah. two kids for the, that time. That I can't think. I can't think of anything that happened in those nothing. five years. So nothing. May, just I can't remember it. It did happen, but maybe nothing. I'm not remembering because it's so far ago. My wife is like she's like uh, 
as, <laughs> she's like an external hard drive, <laughs> as well as being cool and very sexy, sexy very dynamic, sexy. <laughs> uh, and fun to be around. Um, she, but she is, her memory is phenomenal. Yeah. And she also takes copious pictures and prints them out and curates every year. She prints oh out these God. little kind of Polaroid style things from Instagram. It's like this, we've got these albums at home which I can look through and I often, I look through them and I feel sad because I, part of me is thinking, how beautiful, and part of me is thinking, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> Who is the man there? He looks happy. Look happy, look at the happy man. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrible thing. Um, you do, as well as the, the uh, climate thing you're doing to businesses, you do, on your website, you, you yeah. promote the idea of doing a talk about resilience. You've got yes. loads, of, loads of business people on a yeah, video man. saying how great you are. Yeah. That's good. Uh, well, question one. Yeah. Can I book you just to do that just to me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a room, though. I don't want it on Zoom. I want you yeah, in the well, room. Weirdly, that's sort of one of the starting points of where that came from. Because I am, I think... Partly because of my podcast and partly just because of my nature, um, I like giving people pep talks. Every so often, someone will get in touch with me and go, I'm just feeling a bit shit. Can, we just, can I just talk to you? Which is nice, except there's no one I can do that to. Um, so... <laughs> I'm not volunteering, don't no, worry. No, no, fine, no, fair enough. Fair. Yeah, I'm not going to leave that hanging as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it, like, that, that talk, I do, like, a talk to organisations of all sizes. You know, I'll do it to, yeah. like, you know, the board of a charity or a, some nurses or a, uh, some, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy people. We don't, call, <laughs> we don't say that anymore. No. Um, it's right, you are crazy, so you're allowed to say. Yep. You've got it, you're officially you crazy much. now. Um, Uh-oh, I've just called everyone with ADHD crazy. Sure. I'm going to be in trouble. Looking forward to 20 years on the Herring Archive. <laughs> you imagine if that's what they got you on. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's no coincidence that I'm trying to promote loads of conspiracy theories <laughs> and get you go, There's a, we're living in a simulation or we're all alive in a... And you must believe everything I tell you. A, you oh, make a God. lot of money, and B, you You've you know, assembled a rabble of easily led idiots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, um, it's true. They'll believe whatever I tell them. It's going to be fine. <laughs> um, I, uh... <laughs> um, I, uh... Basically, the, the podcast has always... Del and I've always delighted in kind of going, what's that? How do you cope with that? What's it like? What, how did you, like, you wanted that and you only got that. And that's great, but you clearly can't cope with it. How do you cope with it? And so what I do is I've sort of distilled the, it's kind of the talk of my podcast and I go and yeah. do it to people of all sorts of organisations. And, um, and I really love it. And it, I, it's this weird, you know, there is this, this trope of like a, a failed actor. I'm not a failed actor. I was an actor briefly, realised I was shit and stopped. Different. Um, <laughs> But you know there are people who you might, in an uncharitable way, you might call them a failed actor, and they go and teach, you know, uh, acting schools to how to look people in the eye and shake their hand and stuff. I never wanted to do that. Yeah. And, and I hope I'm not doing that. What I am doing is I've invented this thing of talking to people about resilience from the perspective of comedians, and I do it, and I love it. I love it. Yeah. I just like, it's like it's my twin obsessions, comedy and coping with shit. <laughs> yes. And I get to go and tell people and say things like, you know, there's a lovely, there's a thing Felicity Ward said on the podcast years ago, you're a brilliant Australian comic, about this, this kind of baseball bat that she refers to as Old Faithful. 
which is a metaphorical baseball bat that you inscribe, you know, your negative core self-belief. And then when a gig goes badly, you sit in your car and you pick up old faithful in the recesses of your mind and you fucking clobber yourself <laughs> over the head with it. Right. And that is a fascinating way of looking at ruminating on a thing having gone wrong. Yeah. And I love sharing that with people and, and kind of, you know, analysing it and go, what can we learn from that and what have you? And then people go back in touch with me and say, oh, I still use that thing or that thing so-and-so said. So yeah. I really enjoy, yeah... So I, don't, so I don't feel like a hideous corporate shield. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> no, it's, it is interesting. And, it, you know, resilience is so important, I guess, as a comedian. It's prob- I mean, there's the confidence to do it. The, you need to stick at it. and You've got to have the, you know, the sticking power to carry yep. on. But it is the resilience to, you know, the thing that puts a lot of people off yeah. is their first death. And if that's... I was talking to Spencer about this as well, because Spencer's first two gigs went brilliantly and his third gig went badly and he didn't do... Stand up for, for six years after that. Yeah. Oh, I remember to... him telling me yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I really yeah. I, I, he told me twice. I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> Isn't it awful? We just fly around like vultures. Going, what did you get from him? What did you get? <laughs> I don't think you mentioned his double act. It was his double act. So, um, but um, yeah. Well, now you've got. Now you throw me off. But no. So, like, if you're, if there must be so many comedians out there whose first gig just went terribly yes. and they never did it again. Absolutely. And the, whereas a lot of people do get nervous and have an ama- amazing first one and the second one goes badly but the first yeah. one was good and they go well I, the first one was good i've got that little feeling of yeah excitement so they carry on but you, you need the resi- you know you have to get through so much and i think even more so now but there's so many bad gigs and there's so many deaths and you yeah. really have to fucking want to do it yeah right? yeah and there's so much competition it's, now. it's hell and yeah. part of <laughs> i suppose part of i don't know if you feel this that thing about doing the hard yards and kind of earning your stripes and, you know, driving six hours to die on your ass somewhere and then driving home that night for petrol money sort of thing. Um, those experiences, we sort of... I think we have a tendency to sort of be proud of those. And I think that's interesting because I think sometimes it is nice to go, well, I've fucking done my time and oh, I'm glad I never have to do that anymore. And you sort of go, there's also... There's, we could have at the time worked out a better way of doing it, but we didn't. And so I think that's what, you know, when you see kind of uh, comics in their 50s, say, uh, present company, not. And, uh, not I, 60, yeah, I'm yeah, 50, right. 50. There we go. <laughs> present company uh, accepted because you don't hang around in Facebook groups, won't uh, whinging, as far no, as I know. Not, if, not if you do, I'm not name. invited to them. Not under <laughs> your own Not name. with my own name, no, I don't really. <laughs> but I think... I don't mean comics in their 50s. People, you know, my, comics of my era, people who started comedy at a time when, if you had a website, it was a bit like, ooh, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And we, we sort of pride ourselves on kind of, well, I did the hard yards, I drive up and down the motorways. And then you, uh, you see new comics coming through who are amassing enormous audiences through social media, and it corrupts you, and you go, <laughs> well, they haven't done all the shit I had to do. <laughs> and, and you think, good for them. Yeah. Have they looked at it and went, God, no thanks, what's good about that? And we go, ha, 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 we all eat Ginster's pasties and weep at 3am in the services. <laughs> and we, well, good, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Do you know what I mean? Maybe you could have done it a different way. So, yeah. Yeah, so but I, there's you know that's two there's two types of comedian and there are the comedians who'll get into their fifties and be bitter about you know even if they're quite successful about why they haven't been more successful or bitter about new people coming up and then I think you and I both have to be in the position where we love comedy so much yeah. that we're sort of del- I'm delighted if someone new and funny comes along and I want to showcase them on totally. on this show as as you do you know you do lo- that's what's fantastic about your your podcast I'll say this is that. 
you know, you'll introduce people to a whole host of comedians, but also take those comedians seriously and let them explain who they are. And, you know, yeah. it's not like, you know, other comedians, other people in their late 40s talking to a 20-year-old will go, well, let me tell you how to... Sure. But you're very much listening to what they've, they've got to say. I think I've just got very low self-esteem. <laughs> so, I don't... You're 20. How's it done? How's it done? <laughs> but, you know, you, but you can... You, can and you see this... You saw this in every generation. So, like, the cancel culture thing now happened also at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, where the horrible 70s comedians <laughs> wanted to carry on doing racist jokes and everyone said, you can't do it. They said, if it's funny, it's funny. And then they died and if we discover it wasn't funny and we move on, uh, <laughs> that will happen again now. Uh, but there's those, com- you know, some com- someone like Barry Cryer, I don't think ever really was doing problematic material, but he negotiated his way through that change and, and carried on producing great comedy because he stayed interested in what young people were doing. You know, Absolutely and, and, right. You know, yeah. and I think that's, you know, to me, it would be weird to be the bitter guy, however well your career, or however badly your career's gone, because, you know, you've tried it, and you know how difficult it is, and I, so, I, I sort of feel anyone giving it a go, pretty much any comedian, I have at least some respect for. There's a couple that I don't. There's one, one I really don't at the moment. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really bad one. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, apart from Ricky Gervais. Uh, no. <laughs> second, second time in three for two. Yeah. Well, no, I, think, no. I think that's... There, there is another, another weird facet of it is this kind of... Not cult. What do I mean? When I started comedy, I felt like we were all on the same team. Yeah. You know, we're all, we've all felt that fear of being in the wings and going, oh, Christ, am I really going to do this? Oh, God. And, and so you feel like you've gone over the top of a trench with someone you feel like we're all bonded and then you do it for long enough and you go some of these people are awful and, and some of them are lovely but yeah. i totally disagree with their point of view on everything and you go what i what i sort of naively thought was a sort of a global community is a bunch of sort of self-interested satellites do you know what I mean it, it, it doesn't is, yeah but it, but also when you you know i've talked to firemen who say the same thing about this uh, lee hosey pickett i talked to on my podcast when you go to New York or wherever as an English firefighter, you walk into a fire station, you're accepted as a, a firefighter, mm. and immediately you're together. I feel like, you know, you can walk... We can, if, you, if you see a comedian, I feel we recognise each other like dogs would, even if we look differently. <laughs> and we, you know, you immediately fall into, like... Especially someone you know, but even if I went to America, you know, you'd meet another comedian and go, I'm a comedian, and you'd get into a chat, and you'd recognise something in each other. I think it's more support. I think it's... There are a lot of, you know, it's an ego-driven thing and, there's a, and it's, a, for a lot of people, a very solo thing. Yeah. But I think there is, there is a camaraderie between nearly everyone, I think, that uh, I, that's what yes, I like. Yes, there, there, there is definitely camaraderie. I just feel that I think you, like, now, I mean, we were talking before in the dressing room about, um, you know, <laughs> sort of, to, to, in Precy, to, uh, like, in fact, we haven't got any friends anymore because yeah. we, we're just dads, you know, and, like, our podcasts are a large part of our kind of communication with, with a wider network of friends. And I think that... Um, I, I, oh, that's fucking happening again. I'm sorry. Hang on. What was the last thing you said? Um, the camaraderie, sorry, the camaraderie of comedians. And we're, you're yes. talking about us being dads and not having any friends. Yes. Oh, you know, yes. I've got a couple of friends. So... <laughs> more than you told me about the dressing room. Um, <laughs> They're imaginary, it's fine. I think that... I th- They're puppets, it's all right. <laughs> egg, look at egg. Um, I think that... Um, I think that it's easy to use the comedy circuit to replace your social life. Yeah. Because it's cool when you're a younger comic and someone says, 
hey, uh, can I, uh, come, there's a party going on, and you go, oh, I can't do it, I've got a gig. Yeah. And that's kind of cool, because, oh, you've got a gig. And then five years later, it's not, yeah, I know, I thought it was cool. I was young. <laughs> a woman laughing in my face over there. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think it goes on a bit, and you go, oh, I've, I've actually, I don't have a, a, you know, I've lost touch with a lot of friends. And they're still yeah. my friends, and I love them, but I've kind of, I feel like I'm, I'm a bit of a crap, I'm a crap friend, you know, because I'm just not in the habit of calling on people because I'm so busy with this sort of connection to whatever the comedy circuit is. And I often don't experience that as friendships. I often experience that through my podcast. Or I see someone in a green room and I go, oh, God, wonderful, lovely, you know, and then we have a lovely, intense, camaraderie-driven moment. Oh, fucking great. But I don't really call them at another time. I don't do that enough. No, It's a shame, it's lonely. I think that's a lot. I think that's... A lot, I'm going to say it's a lot of men. I think it met a lot of middle-aged men get to yeah. that point. I don't think it's just comedians. But yeah, that's, that's my experience as well. So it's sad, isn't it? No, he's off. We'll off to make friend. a friend. We'll be your friends. Do you want to be our friends? No. <laughs> you can bring up. He's, he gigs. knew we were going to ask if anyone wanted to be our friend and he's really, opting out immediately. Really upset. <laughs> I think he's generally got anything to do. Before I go, I have to mention this. On your IMDB page, which is the page that lists... <laughs> Um, or everything you've done on TV. Um, <laughs> they sometimes put trivia and interviews and stuff up. There's a bit of trivia about you I want to share with you. Yeah, it's IMDb, uh, your nickname. It's got, you've got a nickname. Uh, Stuart Goldsmith has a nickname that someone has gone on to IMDb. Don't have a nickname, so I'm Your nickname is Stu. <laughs> <laughs> imagine, imagine bothering oh. to go to IMDb. Oh. Oh. I've noticed some people sometimes don't use the full Stuart. <laughs> Looks that like is... I've got a little bit of information for IMDb. That could go on my fucking gravestone <laughs> as emblematic of the fact that I've fought my whole life not to be bland and failed. <laughs> um, I have a, a little surprise for you. Oh, you do? Yes, up. yes. I, I forgot. I, when I, is my surprise in the room? Give me a cheer. Hello? No, no, not just generically give me a cheer. So fucking hell. If you are the surprise. Give us a wave. Can you get up and... uh, Are you in a position that you can get up and come here, please? I moved to Bristol nearly, well, something like seven or eight years ago yeah. after an unfortunate... Is this going to be my son or something? That it's I've not your son. It, I don't know As about. As you know, I left London to avoid uh, accusations of egging and so forth when yep. our houses yes, backed onto one did, another when I was living with Nish. Um, I moved to Bristol and lo and behold, can you stand up, Colin? Where are you? Come round here. Can you come, just can come, come, down these, the come down that stairs down to the front? And I, I might even invite you onto the stage if that's there's all right. A, there's a little staircase there. Yeah, against every health and safety regulation yes. this place has. I basically, I came, in many ways, I moved to Bristol, not just, but also to escape you, Richard. Yeah. And then I opened my door, thanks, uh, would you come up here, and I discovered that you are my postman. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Boys, can I get a, a picture, Richard, mind? Lovely. Thank you. Right. This I'll is the postman on time, gentlemen. Please. This is Colin the postman. He's a very, very well respected figure in the community. Cheers, Colin. Thank you. Do you have an emergency question for Colin? Um, uh, have you ever tried to suck your own cock? No, 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 no. Uh, leave, leave my postman alone. Get him off. Okay. Get him off. Thank you, mate. Right, Thank be you. careful on your way down. I'll Colin give you the postman, everyone. I'll give you. I've got a spare mug in my bag. We can give a buck. We got a. We'll give you. I was a guest on Rallastapa. 
Uh, you Mike. could have knocked me down with a feather. Bang, 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 got a parcel for Fucking hell, it's herring! <laughs> Very good. Well, we can't top that. Um, do you want to head to your website to see stuff about climate and about yes. booking for your business? And StuartGoldsmith.com, which yeah. I finally bought the .com off uh, a man claiming his name was Stuart Goldsmith, and it wasn't. <laughs> he was squatting my .com. Wow, uh, and he, it all we, worked out. We met him. in a pub and I bought it off him. So StuartGoldsmith.com it is. And if you ever need to research someone for your podcast and you can't be bothered <laughs> to read anything... Head to ComComPod. Just remember, auto-transcribe it. You don't even have to hear my annoying voice. Fantastic. He's an absolutely fantastic comedian, podcaster and gentleman. Please look it up. Stuart Goldsmith. Thank you very much. Thank you. Come back next week. We'll see you next week. You have been listening to Rallastopper with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Stuart Goldsmith. Thank you, Scant Regard, for producing this music. It's just one guy. How does he do it? I don't know. You'll have to ask him. I'm indebted to my producer, Chris Evans, not that one, and Ben Evans, who does lots of my social media stuff, and is not that one either. He uh, comes out of uh, Chris Evans' winky. Thank you to Beth Cliff. Thank you to George Lingford. Thank you to everyone at the Bath Comedia, in which I am a shareholder, so they better all do what I say. I have one share, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it tonight. You, yeah, thank you. It's a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFastTheStripe.com production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out. <laughs>